Hello and welcome to T-Peds. I'm Sean. And I'm Lindsay. T-Peds is the podcast where we select a VHS tape from either my collection or Lindsay's collection. We watch it and then we talk about it. This is the first episode of 2017. Aw, oh, yeah. Do you have any New Year's resolutions you'd like to share with our listeners? Be more on time with recording. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we could be better about that. Um, I remember when we first started the show, we had about five or six in the bank before we even started posting them. But now we're, we seem to be flailing from episode to episode just to get them out. But I think we're just a day late with this one. Oh, yeah. No, we're starting the year right. And the, the every other Monday thing is a self-imposed thing. I don't, yeah. I don't know if anyone is... Uh, is, is screaming for them to come out on Monday. Our parents probably noticed, but... Yeah. Lindsay, we're kicking off this new year with uh, one of your tapes. What did you pick out for us? Homeward Bound. This was a film series that I was obsessed with. I watched this one at least as much as I watched the sequel, but this is definitely the classic, because no one knows or cares about the sequel except for me. <laughs> Made 30 years after the original 1963 movie, The Incredible Journey. Which I did not know existed until Sean told me about it. I've been aware of it, but I think I was never interested in it as a kid because it seemed very dry and the fact that the animals don't talk, that always bothered me. I just don't understand how you could have it without the animals talking. And I mean, keep really young kids interested, but may- maybe you can. I feel like kids had greater attention spans back then. There's yeah. There are fewer things competing for their eyeballs. Um, That's true. I really like the animal voices, and more so, I like that their lips don't move. Yeah, this is something that we were talking about, because with every other animal movie now, they actually use computer graphics to edit the lips to make them human-like, which is just bizarre to me. For one thing, it makes no sense, because if animals are communicating in English, it must be telepathic, because otherwise, what, humans just can't hear that frequency, yet they see their lips moving all the time silently? That would be really unsettling. So why why do none of the humans comment like, Barky, why are your lips moving so much? Are you sick? I mean, part of it is just that they have some great voice actors in this film, but um, you can actually get invested in these animals, I feel like, in a way that you wouldn't be able to if their lips were moving all the time, because that's just so distracting to me when that happens in modern talking animal movies that I don't really... Unless it's an animated film. I guess, I think to me... Yeah, when it's an animated film like, um, like Zootopia. Z- yeah. Like Zootopia, it's fine because they, they're already these anthropomorphized animal people i'm talking specifically about live action movies where these talking animals live with humans and the humans just don't seem to notice yeah I like think... like cats and dogs or uh-huh. marmaduke or <laughs> what have you i think to me not that it's too distracting it's just that it, it makes me forget that they're really animals whereas this film seems to really embrace them being animals while giving them human traits and they just had really talented and like very well trained animal actors so that they have expressive faces and stuff and they have them reacting and then the voice just kind of adds to that and it, it melds very well it's not forced at all Absolutely. We got a couple ads to get out of the way here first. Super ads. Super ads. Uh, kind of omnibus ads. These montages of uh, 
all these different Disney movies you can now buy on video cassette. The first one is the Walt Disney Family Film Collection. Which just means they're throwing the old stuff at you. Old Yeller, The Parent Trap, The Original Parent Trap, Swiss Family Robinson, Pollyanna, Escape to Witch Mountain. I think that this is put here for the parents and grandparents of these kids who are probably complaining that in my incredible journey, the animals didn't talk. I don't know about that, because I watched most of these films. Like, I've seen Old Yeller, I've seen The Original Parent Trap, I've seen Swiss Family Robinson, Pollyanna, Escape to Witch Mountain, not Davy Crockett. I did not care about Davy Crockett. But don't you think this is kind of intended to kind of bridge the generation gap? Because this isn't your father's Incredible Journey (laughs) sort of thing. Although they don't advertise the original Incredible Journey, which is interesting. I feel like it's partly because they know a lot of these families, the, the adults watch these movies with their kids, and so they anticipate adults wanting the the parents or the grandparents wanting to introduce films to their kids and grandkids like i watched all these movies because my grandparents had them and thought they would be fun for me to see the other ad is the walt disney masterpiece collection which uh seems to be just all the classics kind of animated classics a lot of it well also mary poppins is thrown in there it's got some animation like the first ad was all live action film like that purely live-action Disney. But the second ad is a little bit of live-action Mary Poppins and then all the classic animated stuff. All the way up to The Lion King. And it's intercut with these kids kind of emoting. All these diverse children. They want to make sure that it's multicultural. You see everybody in there. This is the 90s. actually, come to think of it, it might have been a lot of white kids and one black boy. (laughs) And then, no, there was an Asian kid in there. Oh, okay. I must have missed that. It was 90s diversity, so it was mostly the white kids. He's missing the kid in the wheelchair, though. The textbook cover diversity. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's pretty much all your staples, Snow White, Alice in Wonderland, etc. Nothing too exciting here. A little disappointed with the ads. I was hoping to see some early 90s forgotten classics. Oh, Like yeah. uh, Man of the House. <laughs> forgotten for good reason. Now, you mentioned these uh, incredible animal actors let's let's run through this trio our our real stars here they they totally owned the screen no one cares about the humans in this movie the humans are so bland in this movie i forgot how just milk toast they are except i yeah i was gonna say the two older siblings of the three kids because there's an older boy there's a middle girl and there's a younger boy and the if you if you think about the three human kids, their personalities kind of mirror their pets. So the oldest boy has the oldest dog, Shadow, who's very mature. He's got the wise man thing going on, and he's trying to direct everybody to do the right thing. Yeah, Shadow is a golden retriever, of course. Uh, he's voiced by the late Don Amici. Who died the year the film was released. Yeah, so there's a different actor playing him in the sequel, and we saw a little footage of that, and it's a little strange, but I'm not yeah. sure I would have noticed if... As a kid, I didn't notice. Yeah. But I didn't notice anything as a kid, as we've established many times in yeah, this podcast. The, the Ninja Turtle movies are still the biggest offenders of swapping out voices and actors. 
in puppetry. Yeah, you mentioned the kids being matched up with the dogs, uh, personality-wise. I think that's as close to character development for the humans as we get. Like, yeah, because you have the the prissy middle uh, middle child who's in her frilly dresses, and she has a Himalayan cat that knows how to manipulate everybody and she's the pretty girl that's sassy voiced by sally field and sally field brings a lot into this character even though everybody's a little cookie cutter well you know i gotta say the um all three of the voice actors really bring it like they 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 aren't phoning it in even though they're pretty big stars they're totally emoting big time um and of course the third uh and i guess main character of the story uh who at least has the biggest arc is uh chance the american bulldog voiced by michael j fox and he's the youngest so he belongs to the youngest child and he's the kind of wild one the irresponsible one that doesn't have any experience in life yet and he's also new to the family he was adopted not long before the film starts yeah it's interesting the movie actually opens with these kind of oppressive shots of like the wrong side of the tracks and the streets and you hear michael j fox in a voiceover and you're supposed to kind of think that it's a human narrating it Oh, I never thought about that. He doesn't really say anything in that opening monologue to give away that he's a dog until he starts talking about eating underwear and then they have the big reveal that it's a dog. I thought that was a pretty clever way to open the movie. I never noticed that. The interesting thing on this watch with Chance is that he's the only one of the three animals that doesn't really care about his owner and doesn't doesn't love his his human. Yeah, I think it's because his human's so young, right? The child that he's matched up with is maybe three years old, maybe four. Like he doesn't, he hasn't really developed into a full person yet. He doesn't know who he is and he's not attached to chance that, whereas the other two older kids have had their pets longer and they've, they have a little bit more life experience. So they, they really have a love for them that you can feel and that they play to. The girl feeds sassy shrimp at the wedding and yeah. things like that. So what's the uh, what's the plot of this film for those that have not seen uh, Homeward Bound? I think it's pretty much the same plot as the original. The basic plot of this is that you have three animals and their owners are moving to San Francisco for we don't know how long, an indeterminate amount of time, not that long. It's a temporary, like work relocation yeah and it's long enough that the kids have to go to a new school for the time being and so the family decides to leave all the pets at a ranch including the cat because apparently there's no room in san francisco for a cat that makes no sense to me that cat is in immediate danger on a ranch like i could i could believe that you'd leave your two dogs behind because they're pretty big dogs and maybe you're in a tiny apartment and when you already have three kids all right yeah, that makes sense to me. But yeah, t- not bringing the cat to San Francisco, like the most low-maintenance animal imaginable. It's like, are we supposed to think that the parents had a sit-down conversation or were like, no, it's unfair for our daughter to keep her cat, so we'll just abandon it too. And the cat is just outside, and they so easily escape. Yeah, outside in the wild where they establish there are cougars. There have got to be coyotes everywhere. My family's lost cats to coyotes. Bears. Yeah, they're bears. Porcupines. A lot of hazards out there for a cat. But anyway, so they're temporarily staying at this ranch, and they panic. The animals panic, and they want to go home. And they 
they want to find their owners. And so they leave and they end up on an incredible journey. They learn about themselves and each other. They bond and they eventually are reunited with their humans. It's funny because this entire situation, like, yeah, they I guess they grow as people or as animals, I should say. They grow as beings. But, I mean, needless to say, it's totally unnecessary. If they'd stayed put, they would have seen their owners in two weeks. So yeah. they risk life and limb crossing the Sierra Mountains. It's for un- nothing. For nothing. Uh... <laughs> Because they can all talk to each other, but they can't talk to the humans. Yeah. So the, I mean, that's also an interesting wrinkle because, and I don't know if I fully understood that as a child watching this movie, but there's all these moments where, I mean, like Shadow has this really intense, soulful relationship with his boy. And like when they're hugging, you get the sense that he understands words like love and things like that. But He, he understands home. He gets love. But the boy at one point says, we'll be back in two weeks. And Shadow is like, I don't know what you're so upset about. So, Why are you so sad, Peter? I'll protect you. So that's sort of a plot contrivance, but it yeah. is a smart way of kind of skirting around that. Yeah, and establishing why the, the animals freak out and think that they, they've been abandoned. And Chance, of course, has abandonment issues, having been in the pound. And he was a stray. He was a stray. He's got all these chips on his shoulders. Hard knock life for Michael J. Fox. The three animals escape and almost instantly get into some crazy adventures. Learning to fish. Sassy <laughs> is the sassiest fisherman out there. Fisherwoman. Uh, Sassy falls in a, uh, in, in a white water stream because she was... <laughs> unwilling to she falls off a waterfall that's pretty crazy yeah she ends up so she's unwilling to cross the river by swimming so she decides to go across these twigs and fallen trees but she falls into the river anyway and ends up going over a waterfall and is nursed back to health by a very nice man who they then escape from and run away from again only to encounter more danger these are not super bright animals. Yeah, and you know, Shadow, who's the wise old one who, you know, is always berating Chance for, you know, being a slob and, like, eating wedding cakes and things. Like, Shadow is a terrible leader. I mean, he's led them into danger so many times. I think in the sequel, which we just saw a clip of to hear the other actor's voice... I mean, it's his idea for them to walk out on the runway and like lie in front of a (laughs) lie in front of a a plane that's coming towards them. Like Shadow is not a good leader and constantly gets them into danger. Yeah, it's kind of funny because it's this film uh, embraces a few stereotypes, and it's that it's like super gendered. So you have the leader older male so he's also it's the age thing he's a leader because he's the older one not necessarily because he's the best one to lead and then you have that sassy lady that's just giving everybody shit and telling what for and being prissy and afraid of getting dirty cats rule and dogs drool yeah and then you got Chance, the young or young boy stereotype, who's just going wild all the time, getting himself stabbed with by porcupines. Oh man, those porcupine quills! Never forget the image of them being like pulled out. Yeah, that's for some reason that really struck me as a kid. Yeah, and the makeup on him was actually pretty good, and makes you really admire those dogs for sitting through all that makeup process and stuff. Yeah, you know, interestingly, I was reading in the sequel that 
Chance is played by a different breed of dog. Which I never noticed. He's an American Bulldog in this, but in the sequel, he's an American Pitbull Terrier. And it's like, why did they decide to do that? Are those dogs just easier to work with? Like, are they better movie dogs? or? I wonder if it's just what was available. Like, they couldn't be picky. And also, in the sequel, Shadow is clearly a lot younger than the retriever that they got for <laughs> yeah, the second one. Yeah, they did one. not bother with getting an older dog for him. It looks like a, almost a teenager in dog years. Mm-hmm. There's a couple... Um, intense scenes we already mentioned sassy getting lost in the river there but there's also this kind of like a morbid section of the movie towards the end where they just barely cross these railroad tracks in time and shadow falls into this like mud pit this scene always got me as a kid it always i always feel so sad and stressed out because he looks so vulnerable down in the mud and just so sad, and he can't pull himself up, and he basically resigns himself to death. Yeah, he's just gonna die down there, and he's telling the others to leave him. You never actually see him get out, because this motivates the big finale here, where one at a time, the animals reveal themselves to their owners in this autumnal slow-motion <laughs> sequence. And it got me. Like, I've seen this movie so many times, and yet I... I teared up. I, yeah. When we were waiting for Shadow, Sean, like, saw the tears in my eyes. And you were like, why am I crying? But Disney <laughs> is expert at that. They know what buttons to push and how to manipulate you. Yeah. Uh, I definitely don't blame you for crying. Um, the interior logic of this movie and this ending is, why did they decide to come up one at a time? I mean, this yeah. whole journey, this whole incredible journey, they'd been, uh, you know, running abreast why did they decide to, you know, wait 20 seconds in between yeah. for them to each march up to have their moment? And it's just so confusing because there's still the whole problem of how long the family was going to be away. And it seems like the family has moved back home and things are as normal. And they're not living in San Francisco anymore when the animals get home to them. But then it's like, how much time has passed? Were they really only out of town for two weeks? It just doesn't make sense. If we assume that the movie starts in the summer, yeah. because it's really, it could be late spring, just judging by the way the house looks, and the ending is clearly fall, then I guess, you know, maybe like three months this takes place in, but... But that's not established at all. It feels like just a matter of days. Also, another problem for a movie that involves animals going great distance it's never established where they start, where the ranch is. We, all we know about is San Francisco, which yeah. doesn't actually figure into this movie except for the humans. And it's a ranch that's probably in Northern California. Filming was done in Oregon, but they never mention Oregon. Yeah, I mean, it would have been really helpful if they'd said where they at least started from. Yeah. To give, give us some idea of, of where they're going. There's really a massive lack of detail. <laughs> and speaking of massive lacking, the mom. These parents are, are just the most basic sketches. Robert Hayes from Airplane plays the dad. He's kind of just like your overworked dad. Kind but of he's a stepdad. 
Because the movie starts with the parents getting That's married. That's right. I keep forgetting that. It's so it's it figures into the plot so little. Like he's yeah. not even they couldn't even bother to make him the stereotypical like stepdad trying to be a dad. Which I think is what they wanted to do, but they cared so little about doing anything with the human beings in this movie that they just stepped over it. And so it's just not super clear, but it is he is the stepdad. But he gets more lines and he's more of a character than the mom. The mom is barely there at all. He might as well be a single father and they just X out the wedding scene. I'd be curious to know how many lines of dialogue the mom has. Even Maybe there's three. There's even scenes where it's all of them and she's just silent and kind of looking at each person yeah, talking. And the dad and the kids are talking. Mostly Peter, the oldest child, is the one that has like the most lines of the of the three kids. It's such a nothing role. Even Kate, the the Jean Smart character who runs the ranch, she has more of a character than the mom does. Yeah, and it was just so funny because I didn't really notice it until you pointed out during one of the scenes where the mom is just standing there looking around that she had nothing to do. And she always kind of has this far-off, glazed-eye look about her, too. Maybe she just really didn't want to be in this movie. <laughs> I just, it's it's so odd to me that they couldn't figure out how to make the people have a little bit more impact, especially the mom, like making her an actual character instead of just a background decoration. But I'll tell you who's a great actor in this film that we haven't mentioned yet is Bart the Bear, <laughs> who plays uh, not only the bear in this movie, but uh, in a ton of different films, including The Edge with uh, Anthony Hopkins and Alec Baldwin, which is a favorite of mine. Uh, also in Legends of the Fall. Mm-hmm. It's the same bear and oh, White really? Fang. Yeah, I didn't know that. Did you ever see that movie, The Bear? That's a French film, which is uh, basically entirely about Bart the Bear. He's a nine-foot-tall Kodiak, if you're curious. This just goes to show you that all the greatest actors in the film are animals. Or voicing animals. I like that Wikipedia makes sure to list Bart the Bear's age at death. 23, 23 years old. Let's pour one out for Bart the Bear. Aww. <laughs> Sean, how do you think this movie uh, represents cats? Do you think it, ju- it does them justice? There's definitely some anti-cat propaganda in this film. Yeah. You know, just the idea that cats are very prissy and high maintenance. Uh, but at the same time, the cat is... The cat holds her own with the dogs and yeah. is able to fish. She basically yeah. feeds them for the longest stretch of the mm-hmm. movie. Sally, I cannot say enough how great Sally Fields' performance is. I mean, given that these are people that were just in a voice booth trying to talk over animal faces. Yeah, I think that she's probably the strongest of the three, just character-wise. But yeah, I'd say overall. I mean, it's not like cats and dogs where they literally just say, like, cats Cats are, are are evil. And it's up to these spy dogs to stop them. Yeah. But yeah, I I think it's better than most in terms of that. All right, Lindsay, well, it's about that time. For anybody who uh, is just tuning in to Tapeheads for the first time, we have a rating system on this show. Do you buy it? Do you rent it? Or do you tape over it? Lindsay, the people want to know. Can I do two options for two categories of people? So people who like animal movies and animals, it's a buy it. 
But for people who don't really like animals, like if you're a soulless human being that just doesn't really care, then maybe it's a rent-it. You can just kind of expose yourself to animal love, you know, get a feel for the waters there. But what about for you personally? Oh, it's a buy it. It's a buy it. It's a buy it. My my children will watch this movie. I mean, that that's the thing. It's like a great movie for kids. It's just sweet. And, you know, they do irresponsible and dumb things, but it's not... It doesn't make you feel sad and ugly inside, mm-hmm. like, All Dogs Go to Heaven. It's definitely a better movie than All Dogs Go to Heaven. I'm going to say rent it, just because I think I see a lot of room for improvement here, especially yeah. with the human characters. I feel like either the humans should have been in it less, or they should have been better developed. Because when it's the human characters, this movie just drags. But when... Excellent point. When it's the animals, it's great. Yeah. Uh, So I I just feel like maybe they could have done a couple more drafts on the script. Yeah. Although it is Disney where it's, you know, a screenplay by committee. So maybe their hands were kind of tied. That's true. Yeah, and I totally agree. This is definitely a flawed movie but it's one that anytime i was sick like when i was home sick from school and stuff like this was the movie that i would go to this was my pick me up this and of course the sequel that is probably terrible but still has this 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 wonderful place in my heart as someone who lived in san francisco for a very long time I'd be curious to revisit Homeward Bound 2 and uh, see how it represents the city. I feel like there, I have a vague recollection that there's gangs of junkyard dogs, city dogs that pick on Chance. The main scene that I can remember from that movie is Chance shouting at the seals that he's going to save them when he's down at the wharf because he thinks that that's what happens to dogs when they get baths. They turn into seals. They lose their legs and stuff. Oh, we'll see. That's cute. Cute. I sort of picture them hanging out a lot around Fisherman's Wharf and, like, a lot of imagery of the trolley. Like, I I doubt they make it out to, like, the heat. (laughs) (laughs) I doubt Sassy disappears into a head shop or anything like that. Probably not. So, yeah, maybe on a future episode we'll have to check out Homeward Bound 2, Lost in San Francisco. Which reminds me... I feel like there's another movie that this uh, series takes a lot from, and that's Home Alone. Oh, really? <laughs> I see a lot of Home Alone in both Homeward Bound and its sequel, because think about it. You've got the family worrying about their missing... And they've gone on a trip without their family members. Yeah. And, you know, Macaulay Culkin is kind of dog-like. He's kind of a chance character. <laughs> He's kind of a puppy. Uh-huh. And... The sequels are Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, and Homeward Bound 2, Lost in San Francisco. You don't think that's just lack of imagination by people? They don't know what to do with the sequel, so they just throw them in an entirely different setting? Into a city? I don't know, but I, I definitely noticed that on this watch. There's a, lot of, funny. there's a lot of Home Alone in its DNA. I can see it. I can see it a little bit. Well, Sean, what are we going to do for the next episode? Well, I'm picking sort of a winter film. It's a companion piece, if you recall, to a certain John Cusack movie called One Crazy Summer. Oh. Uh, which I kind of regret showing you that one first, because uh, what we're watching next time is Better Off Dead, which is a, again, same director, Savage Steve Holland, but I think a much better 
sort of spin on that surreal 80s teen comedy format. I think that you'll, you'll get a kick out of it. Sounds good. I'd like to thank Will Price for use of his song Mandatory Groove. You can find more of Will's music at soundcloud.com slash gargantulon. You can learn more about us and our other Tapeheads episodes at tapeheadspodcast.com. Contact us by email at tapeheadspodcast at gmail.com. And we'd love to hear your feedback. Please rate and review on iTunes. That's it for Tapeheads. I'm Sean. And I'm Lindsay. Until next time. 